It's time to discover your spiritual identity with your host, Mike Shree. There are hundreds of names and titles given to God's people that powerfully reveal who you are, why you exist, and what your purpose is in this world. Each one pulls back the veil of a different aspect of who you are in Christ. Once you learn these names and titles and apply them to your life, you will rise up boldly to be all that God has called you to be. Are you ready? Here's Mike Shree. It's time to discover your spiritual identity, who you are in Christ. Because once you know your God-given names, then you know your God-given roles, the roles that you are supposed to fulfill in this life. And you can boldly do it if you see yourself from God's perspective. You can boldly say, I am who God says I am. Now, in the last two episodes, we've focused on our calling to be priests. In 1 Peter 2.5, God's people are referred to as a holy priesthood. In 1 Peter 2.9, God's people are referred to as a royal priesthood. And the word priest simply means one who draws near to God. In the Old Testament, the priests were also referred to as ministers of the altar. Let me take you to the scripture. Joel chapter 1 verse 13 says, Gird up and lament, priests, howl, ministers of the altar. Come, spend the night in sackcloth, ministers of my God. For the food offering and the drink offering are held back from the house of your God. It was a time of national crisis. And so the priests needed to stand in the gap to seek God, not just for a few minutes, but here the appeal is being made by the prophet Joel for them to spend all night long a vigil before God that he would move in their behalf. We are in a crisis time right now, not only in our nation, but in our world. And it's going to take people who receive this calling to be intercessors, ministers of the altar, in order to capture the heart of God and bring forth some kind of divine intervention. God does not do anything in this world except he does it in response to prayer. That's just the way it works. Not only were the priests referred to as ministers of the altar, they were also referred to as partakers of the altar. Because when you come to the altar of God, and that is the meeting place, that's the connecting link between heaven and earth, eternity and time, a lofty and holy God meets lowly and unholy people at an altar. And at that altar, redemption takes place, reconciliation takes place, restoration takes place. And so if you're a minister of the altar, you lead people to that experience of heart, but you also partake of the benefits yourself. The word altar has a double meaning. It can mean a place of elevation, but it can also mean a place of sacrifice. Really, both definitions are true, because when you come to an altar and you present yourself as a sacrifice to God, and we'll cover that more later, you are elevated because he did promise if you humble yourself, you will be exalted. 
Now, the Old Testament altars that we're going to study are all prefiguring something in the New Testament that is fulfilled on a higher level. The Bible says very clearly that Old Testament things like the tabernacle, like the temple, like the pieces of furniture in those structures, they were all a type and a shadow of heavenly things to come. And so we can learn a lot by looking at the shadow because it leads us to understand the mind of God and what he wants fulfilled on a higher level spiritually in the new covenant. The first place I want to take you to is Exodus chapter 20, verses 20 through 26, where God gives a design for an altar. Now, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 10 says, we have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. So in the New Testament, our altar is much different than what they had in the Old Testament. Our altar is at Golgotha, where we eat the flesh of the Son of God and drink the blood of the Son of God symbolically in the communion ritual. In the altar of our heart, we consecrate ourselves to him. We go to the cross. We receive the deliverance that is available for us there, the empowerment that is available for us there. That's the altar we go to now. However, in the Old Testament, they came to God at literal altars, but there were symbolic aspects to those literal altars that speak profoundly of what is yet to come. And that is certainly the case in Exodus chapter 20, verses 22 through 26. Listen to what God says to Moses. Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, You have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make anything to be with me, gods of silver or gods of gold. You shall not make for yourselves. Now here's the three important verses. Verse 24, an altar of earth you shall make for me, and you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I record my name, I will come to you and I will bless you. And if you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stone, for if you use your tool on it, you have profaned it. Nor shall you go up by steps to my altar, that your nakedness may not be exposed on it. All that's so full of rich symbolism. First, God did not ask for an ornately designed altar. If that were the case, then only artistically inclined people could come to God and successfully achieve a relationship with him. Neither did God ask for an altar that was expensive to make, overlaid with gold or silver, studded with all kinds of jewels, that only the wealthy could come to God. God wanted it so simple that a person that had very little ability, even a person that was almost on the edge of being mentally incapacitated, could still build an altar of earth. God wanted it so simple that no one would be excluded, that the poor, the rich, the intelligent, the imbecile, the person that's capable of comprehension and the person that's 
barely able to understand what he or she is doing, they can still make an altar of earth and come to God. God wanted it that way because God's arms of love reach out to embrace the entire human race. And he said, you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings. Now, a burnt offering was representative of being consumed with the fire of God and totally devoted and consecrated to him. A peace offering was representative of enjoying fellowship with God. When a peace offering was given to God, it was like having a feast with God. You ate there at the altar. It was as if you were sitting at a table with God and communing with him, just like the disciples did at the Last Supper. And so it's two different approaches. The one is an altar attitude of the heart of total devotion, total consecration. Burn me up, God, with the fire of God. Let me be a burnt sacrifice offered to you. And the other, the peace offering, is like saying, God, I just want peace with you. I want nothing dividing us. I want sweet communion, sweet intimacy with you. And that happens at an altar. Now the altar is not physical. It's not a mound of dirt in your backyard, but it's an internal attitude, a secret place you go to in your heart of hearts to meet with God. And then God said, in every place where I record my name, I will come to you and I will bless you. In other words, if you come to me in a correct manner, if you build an altar of earth, if you offer a sacrifice that is acceptable and I approve it, then I'll pour out my favor on your life. And in a sense, God was saying, I will write my signature over your life. That's a way of declaring ownership. That's a way of declaring acceptance. God said, in every place where I record my name, I will come to you. So God is saying, if you'll meet me at an altar, I'll meet you at an altar. And he said, I will bless you. And to bless means to make happy or to bestow benefits upon. Then God went on to say in verse 25, if you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stone. For if you use your tool on it, you have profaned it. How curious is that? Why would that matter to God if you chip away a few rough edges or make the stones fit better by knocking an edge or cracking it in two? Why would that even matter to God? It's not so much the basic commandment that matters, but what it symbolizes. In other words, God was saying, if you're going to approach me, you use a God-shaped method, not a man-shaped method. He said, if you lift up your tool upon the stones that you use to build an altar, you've profaned that altar. You've shaped it by man's effort, by man's doctrines, by man's creeds. Do you see what I'm saying? There are so many religions in the world. Some estimate over four thousand religions in the world. And those are all man-shaped stones. See, because Jesus is not a religion as such. He's a means of obtaining relationship. All religions are men's effort to reach God, but Jesus was God's effort to reach man. It's much different. And unfortunately, many people have taken the Bible, the gospel message, the name of Jesus, 
the history of what he accomplished, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension. And they dressed up that revelation in all kinds of ceremonies and rituals and traditions, many of which are man-made, God-shaped stones. You don't find a lot of what's promoted in quote-unquote Christianity in the Bible because it's man-shaped stones. Jesus didn't come to earth to create a denomination. He came to earth to bring man back into intimacy with God, to bring the human race to his bosom, to draw us closer to his heart. And that's what an altar is all about. So make sure your approach to God is God-shaped, not man-shaped. Someone may say, well, we don't lift hands to praise God in our church, but the Bible commands it. Paul said to Timothy, I will that all men everywhere lift holy hands without wrath and without doubt. One of the prophets said, I will lift my heart with my hands to God in the heavens. It is a God-shaped approach to worship him that way. Shout with a loud voice. Oh, we never do that in our church, but it's biblical. The scripture says, clap your hands, all you people, and shout unto God with a voice of triumph. That's a God-shaped stone, not a man-shaped stone. See, your altar represents your approach to God and make sure it's according to his standard. Don't just go with the trends of what people believe. Inspect it for yourself. I see some people recoiling from extremes in the charismatic movement, and they end up throwing the baby out with the bathwater and becoming cessationists that say God doesn't speak prophetically anymore. Apostles and prophets do not exist. Speaking in tongues, that doesn't happen. No, God doesn't heal the sick. Don't swing all the way to the other end of the pendulum. Stay right there in the middle. Don't go to extremes that are non-biblical on either side. Yes, God still wants you to pray in languages of men and angels. He that speaks in an unknown tongue speaks not unto men, but unto God, and no man understands him. Howbeit in the Spirit, he speaks mysteries. That is a God-shaped stone. Speaking in tongues, a language of worship. It's not always preaching in languages of other nations, other peoples. Sometimes it's languages of angels, according to Paul's writing. That's a God-shaped stone. Lifting holy hands, praying in tongues, falling prostrate before God. All of these things are correct and right. Praise God. Now, the next line is very peculiar. God said, Neither shall you go up by steps to my altar, that your nakedness may not be exposed on it. See, the pagans, the heathen, thought that the higher the altar was and the more steps leading up to it, the more they earned some type of mystical experience or audience with some deity. And, of course, that doesn't help, not the least bit, because God is not impressed with our human efforts. In other words, God was saying, you just stay down on ground level. You humble yourself at a dirt altar. 
you recognize that you came out of the dirt. You're going back to the dirt. You're just an earthen plot that I can plant the seed of my word in. In fact, that was the first parable he gave. He likened the human heart to parcels of ground. So I think God was just saying, humble yourself and I'll come down to your level. You don't have to go through all kinds of religious demands and mystical formulas in order to somehow penetrate into the supernatural world and experience heaven on earth. God said, you just humble yourself. Don't go up by steps to my altar. You stay on your level and I'll come down to you. I'll meet with you and I'll commune with you. Because God said, if you go up by steps on my altar, your nakedness will be exposed. In other words, if you try and earn heaven, earn eternal life, earn communion with God, it's only going to show you all the more how corrupt the human heart is. You'll look at yourself internally and say, there's no way. I'll never be good enough. You and I have to realize it's by grace that we're saved through faith and not, not of ourselves not of works, lest any man should boast. So that's the beginning of these hidden mysteries of ancient altars. There's a lot more to be said. In the next program, I'm going to talk about the brazen altar of the tabernacle, the golden altar of the tabernacle. I'm going to talk about the altar in heaven. I'm going to talk about the sacrifices, the seven spiritual sacrifices that should be offered up on an altar. There's a lot more that needs to be said. So join me on the next episode of Discover Your Spiritual Identity. And this week, make up your mind that just like the priests offered incense in the morning and in the evening, twice a day, on the altar of incense in the tabernacle, you're going to commune with God at the beginning of your day and at the end of your day. And make sure he's the alpha and the omega of your day. And make sure that it's embraced with an altar approach. And make sure that you're connected, that eternity and time is connected and linked in the altar of your heart. You can do it. You're a minister of the altar. You're a partaker of the altar because you're a priest of the Most High God. Thank you for listening to Discover Your Spiritual Identity with Mike Shree, a podcast designed to cause a spiritual awakening in your life. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can go deeper into this amazing revelation of the names God has given his people by getting your copy of Mike Shreve's book titled, Who Am I? Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ. We also invite you to visit our website, shreveministries.org, and sign up to be part of our global internet family, a group of on-fire believers who are bold to proclaim, I am who God says I am, I have what God says I have, and I will be what God says I will be.